You know I'm right. The podcast that uncovers the origin stories of some of the biggest names in sports, entertainment, and news today. Nick Durst here along with Joe Calabrese. And Joe, we are very excited about our guest today. He's a 12-time Emmy and Murrow winner. And he had a really big event happen this past weekend in his life in the time of us recording this. Absolutely. We are lucky because we are one of the, uh, the first podcasts out there and people to be able to do this. So uh, we'll continue the intro by saying he's weekday morning anchor uh, for NBC Philadelphia. And the event in his life is that he got engaged. So uh, a formal congratulations uh, is in order from Nick and I. Thank and you. not to be confused, uh, Keith Jones of NBC Philadelphia, not the hockey player, That's uh, right. who he gets confused with all the time. But Keith, welcome to the show. Thank you for doing this with us. Once again, congratulations. How are you doing today? Thank you. You guys are officially like the first broadcast source to, uh, to congratulate me. It's not like NBC, you know, but they have to. They're like contractually obligated, I think. So I appreciate this. That was really nice. Uh, I'm doing great, man. I'm riding a high from getting engaged over the weekend. For the longest time in my life, I didn't think it was in the cards. So, um, you know, it's, it's nice to have my personal life come somewhat lock in step with, uh, you know, what I'm pushing to do on TV. It's nice. I think I think it's nothing better. I'm 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 married, uh, so Good for you. that's it's an awesome experience going through the engagement process and planning the wedding. The question I think that's on everybody's mind right now is going to be: Will you invite Keith Jones to your wedding? <laughs> the hockey player. Hilarious, you know. So one of um one of my Emmys actually was sent to his house, which was great, and they kind of like held it hostage. So uh so. That's basically the extent of our relationship. We talked on the phone. We we were in um, randomly in South Korea together covering the Olympics. And I saw him there, but I've only seen him like a handful of times. So listen, he can come. He's, he's a super nice guy. You know, one of the one of the really um, nice things about sharing a name with somebody or the beneficial things, if the guy's a really nice guy, then you get confused with him. And it's like, oh, you, you built in credibility. They like you already. And you don't correct them. Um, so I'm lucky that he's a, he's a great dude by all accounts. Um, and he's great on, on TV as well as, and, and on the radio too in Philly, which is great. I, I, I agree. And Joe, of course, is a big hockey fan. So nice. he's got good things to say, but yeah, Philadelphia, that's, that's where you're at. Uh, spent a lot of most of your career in that area. Now, did you know that when you were going to go to Villanova that you wanted to pursue a career as a broadcaster? No, no, I, um, I wanted to be a, a lawyer only because I thought it'd be something um, interesting to do. Like you hear like, oh, a successful person, you go like doctor, lawyer. And so like, I knew I was terrible with anything science related. Um, I only went so far in the, in the math department, but I loved writing and I figured, oh, I can like, you know, come up with um, great arguments. I, I, I have a philosophy minor. For some reason, I geeked down on philosophy. Um, and so I was like, oh, you know, maybe that's the track to like a law degree. But um, when I was at Villanova, um, I was a student manager slash um, beanbag on the court uh, for the Villanova basketball team. And by my junior year, we, we earned the school's first number one seed in the tournament. I was living with Kyle Lowry um, and we started getting followed by all these sports reporters. And one of them was John Clark, who's a sports reporter at NBC where I work now in Philly. And I was like, oh, that'd be a really cool thing to do is uh, cover sports on television. You can write, I can kind of marry that like storytelling interest that I had. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and that's why I landed an internship actually through him. And from there on out, I just kind of fell in love. Unfortunately, getting that sports job is really hard. So I settled for, uh, for going into news. And again, the news kind of satisfied that bug anyway, too. I can write, um, I can, you know, provide a service to people in the form of good information and you know, prepare and protect them during storms and, and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, but, but then it kind of opened a door that I was able to do sports later anyway, too, you know, going to a couple Olympics and um, a couple of Super Bowls, which was uh, really rewarding. Uh, did you ever have the opportunity to meet Jay Wright? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So I was there his second season and the, the whole, the whole reason I got 
the opportunity to do that is um, there was a phone card scandal where before there were cell phones, we had these like cards that each student would use to call out and you'd, your parents would be billed based on that. Well, the basketball office had one, the football office had one. And the year prior to me getting to campus, the football players and basketball players, some of them were using these cards. The NCAA caught on, I think the university self-reported it. And like a handful of players were suspended for several games the following year, my freshman season. So I think that opened the door for me to come in and again, get like bullied and pushed around on the court. Uh, but it was, yeah, it was during Coach Wright. Coach Wright's a, a, a real strong mentor to me to this day. Um, and I'm really lucky to say that. And it's crazy too, because there was a time at Villanova during those years where he didn't think it was going to work out. And then you look at it now and he's this like legend on campus and in the college basketball realm. And he hasn't changed one bit. He's the same exact person. You know, when I would cover the team in 2016 to 2018 during the recent national titles, he's saying the same stuff in the locker room. Um, so it's a really a, a great story and a, and a good lesson to learn from a guy who has no right to be humble, um, but is incredibly humble and, uh, and modest. It's, it's awesome. It's like the way to be, you know. So you were there in Houston for the national championship game and the buzzer oh, yeah. beater against North Carolina. That's going to be unbelievable. It was, it was crazy. So I, um, I, I covered it with John Clark, who um, I kind of, uh, uh, I was his intern at one point and, you know, years and years later now, I think it was, what is that? Like basically 10 years later after my internship, I'm covering that game with him and, and he knows the ropes. Uh, he knows that city and the, and the sports teams really, really well. He also knows the way sports venues work. So right before Marcus Page hit that circus three-pointer to tie the game, he was like, come on, Jolie, let's, let's go. And we walked down along the side of the court because we were all the way on like the kind of baseline where they put some of the auxiliary media. And he's like, if we just like kind of stand here and keep moving, nobody's going to stop us. And we'll time it right. Well, we'll get to the, to the right side near the opposite of the Villanova bench when Villanova has their last possession. And sure enough, I was able to watch that shot from just off the court. And again, during the tournament, it's like a raised floor. It was probably about four feet off the ground, but I still had a crazy view of, of, um, you know, of, of Chris Jenkins hitting that shot from that Ryan Archidiakono pass. It's crazy. One of those moments, moments I won't forget. Certainly full, full circle for you there. Yeah. Going to school, team manager, your internship, and then you're back there covering it for, for work. And it's definitely an awesome experience. And you built a lot of your, you know, your resume, your reels to get to that point. And it all started as a morning anchor, producer, reporter for WHSB, which was a great television station. How did you land that job coming out of college? What was the process like for you to get that first media or, or news job coming out of school? Because it is very difficult for, for mm -hmm. many people. Yeah, it was um, persistence really helped. Um, at, at the time, you sent out like VHS tapes and you'd have to basically pay the fee for media mail at the post office. There's like, you know, $1.53 bucks. And I sent out like 60 tapes and I only heard back from three. One of them was Harrisonburg, Virginia, but it was, it was a couple months after I graduated from college. So all my friends are getting these great jobs. They graduated from the business school and they're, they're working for like Merrill Lynch and making 50, 60, 70, $80,000 a year. And uh, my opportunity at WHSB was $19,000 a year. And it was to work out of a bureau, which was basically a converted bank. Mm. So all the gear was like in the vault. Um, it was later shut down because of asbestos, um, which is not good. Uh, and I wonder if that's going to creep up on me at some point. Um, but I was there for uh, three years. Um, I, don't, I don't know why they took a chance on me. Again, I had a sports reel. And they said, hey, do you want to do news? And at that point, I was desperate. I was waiting tables uh, at this mom and pop restaurant in, in Central Jersey. And I said, yeah, you know, absolutely. I'll take this opportunity. Drive down to the middle of nowhere. I'd never been. Um, but it really set me on a course working 10-hour days and, and jumping on the anchor desk whenever they would want me to. Um, and again, I was super green. But it was a great place to make mistakes. Um, I, I've always learned you learn way more from failing than you do from succeeding. Um, and so it was a great place with low ramifications to be screwed up on TV. Um, and plus YouTube wasn't huge then. It was like by the time I got to Pittsburgh. Um, but, uh, but no, it was a great like breeding ground for figuring out what I was good at and, and try to fix the, the many, 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 many things I was bad at. Um, but it was, I was grateful for that opportunity to be able to do that. 
Um, the money was brutal, um, but it gives you an appreciation for when um, you can earn a little bit more money. It gives you good perspective, a nice sensibility, especially in reporting stories in Philly, like, you know, going to certain neighborhoods and communities and, you know, having that um, background is, is helpful, I think. So I have a quick question for you because yeah. you are a Jersey guy. Yeah. Uh, what is what is the official cutoff point in Jersey from uh, where you define yourself as somebody who is from New York or you know, defines himself from New York, New York City, like Nick and I do. Uh, and where's the cutoff point for the, the Philly side of things? The official so I know, point. Joe, you're the Yankees fan, right? I am. And Nick, you're a Mets fan. So my mother is a He did his Mets homework fan. too. Yeah, of course, of course. Well, my mom's a, huge, mom's a huge Mets fan. Dad's a huge Yankees fan. Oh, my boy. mom grew up in Brooklyn. My dad grew up in Scotch Plains in North Jersey. So I had a huge New York sports influence growing up. Um and as a Philly anchor, that's all I'll say. Um, but uh, but I think the dividing line is, so I grew up in New Egypt, New Jersey, which is like the geographical center. If you went like probably 10 miles north of my town, you got New York and Philly stations. You got both. Um, so I think that's probably somewhere like at the cutoff of just to the northern tip of like Ocean County. I think okay. that's like where it changes. Ocean County is technically part of the New York market. So technically I grew up in the New York market. For the first few years of my life, I was in Piscataway across from Staten Island, and then we moved down. Rock right by Rockers. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly, exactly. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think that dividing line is just real close to where I grew up. Interesting. Yeah, it it really, it's really super interesting. I love to, I love to dive in deeper. But, uh, but yeah, it's, 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 um, it's funny. Philly is such a great sports town in that they're so passionate, the fans. And I grew up going to Sixers games, um, grew up going to um, Phillies games too. And so I have this weird, like, you know, I, I don't have this like weird animos, animus toward New York sports fans or Philly sports fans. So it's cool to have that um, appreciation, which is good. Thank you for defining that line for us for future yeah, reference. Yeah, unofficial yeah, line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you briefly mentioned Pittsburgh. So, uh, Eventually, you went to WTAE uh, as a news reporter and anchor for her television. Uh, so was there any difficulty making the move across the states? Uh, and who provided or how did that opportunity come about for you? Yeah, I, um, it, was, it was a shocker when I got the opportunity. And it's, it's a testament to like making so many mistakes in Virginia that I, I pulled together a, a resume reel that was way better than probably what I was. In fact, I was so, uh, I haven't really said this much, but it was, I was so self-conscious of my voice that I lowered or I raised the bass in it. So it sounded like some like, you know, classic, like, you know, news anchor. Um, and, uh, and yes, yeah, so, so Harrisonburg was market 181 at the time, Pittsburgh's 23. It was like an unheard of thing, but I think I was a benefactor of uh, them shrinking their budgets basically. And they took a chance on me at 25 um, what was really difficult about it was I rarely went live in the fields in Harrisonburg because funny stories like the live truck literally blew up. Um, and so we didn't have one um, for most of it. So we couldn't go live outside without it being like tethered to the building. So I didn't have much live experience, but I pretended on my reel that I did. And so all of a sudden, Pittsburgh, you're live every day, multiple times a day. And I made um, some pretty egregious errors not factually, but just performance wise, I was so nervous that I'd stammer and forget what I was saying. I'd have to write everything out on a notebook, but that was a good like boot camp for what Philly would end up becoming. And I got to cover some crazy story. I mean, Pittsburgh's a wild market. Again, another great sports market too, because there's nothing else around there. Everyone loves the Steelers and the Buccos and, um, and uh, the Penguins. Um, and there's such an identity there too. Like it's a vortex. Everyone who grows up there comes back. So that was really cool to get um, to to have that experience. But we also covered like the Jerry Sandusky sex abuse trial. I was in that courtroom um, and uh, and a couple other big things that happened. They were in the Super Bowl against the Packers and lost. So I got to experience that. I was there right after uh, Ben Roethlisberger crashed his motorcycle. I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, so there's some, so many crazy stories. And, and he had just married his now wife and that was a big moment because he'd, he'd been accused in those years leading up to it of uh, of you know what he was accused in atlanta yeah uh, impropriety um so 
So it was, it was a fun place to work in that there was a variety of things to cover and it was challenging. Absolutely crazy time period when you were there for sure. Now, after a few years there, natural, the progression, everybody in the industry tries to jump up in market size and you do that and you end up going back home, of course, to, to your current role here with NBC Philadelphia, become a weekday morning news anchor, co-host of the lineup. How did you get that job as far as like who you're reaching out to? Did the internship come into play hugely yeah. for you? And, you know, what was it like moving closer to back home? Yeah, no, it came in huge. So I am um, some background. So I stayed in contact with the news director. It was the same news director from when I was an intern. And ever since uh, my internship, I'd send him every six months my work and they'd be really crappy. But eventually, by the time like the end of Virginia, beginning of Pittsburgh, he started saying, oh, you're in like the ballpark, you're in the realm. And he started giving me really great pointers. So that was helpful. The thing that kind of catapulted me on people's radar, though, which is bizarre. So I covered like a big story like the Sandusky trial. I rescued, a, it's so stupid. I rescued a pig on the side of the road. Um, in a Washington County, uh, like an hour south of Pittsburgh. And it went like, it was in 20, I guess the early 2012, and it went viral it, as things went viral then, not like, you know, there's no crazy big social media push, but it was like on ABC World News and everything else. And all of a sudden, the CBS station, the ABC station, and NBC reached out in Philly with offers. I was like, huh? Like, I worked my whole life to be a good journalist up to that point. And I'm like, I rescue a pig and it was just wonderful. And, you know, we, we told the story. It was at like the end of my shift too. And we got this call, oh, this woman's on the side of the road with this, this highway with this pig. And I'm thinking to myself, I worked like 12 hours at that point. Like, there, what am I, what? But I said, fine, you know, I'm the youngest one. I still want to cut my teeth. So we go down there. And, and I think the story was, the way I wrote it was super loose only because I was a little loopy because it was, Late and also I, I just felt it was like, oh, I'm so used to covering hard news that this is gonna be really fun. Let me let it breathe. And so I put on a mic, I took off my shirt. So I had just had a, like a, a, a white shirt on under a t-shirt. Um, and I went down with a pig in a blanket, like literally a blanket and like picked up this like 30 pound porker. Um, and the crazy thing about the story is, and we, this, we aired this and it wasn't until I got back to the station that I realized this is horrible. So the woman's car was right there and she was like, oh, um, I was like, what do I do with this pig once we get it? She said, I just put it uh, in my car. I said, okay, great. So she lines her car, her back trunk area with blankets. And I'm like, oh, that sounds great. So I walk down, I'm at the end of my rope, right? Pick up this thing, it's all on camera. Um, I put it into the trunk of the car. We do the rest of the interview, we're done. We're walking back to the car. She shuts the, shuts the trunk and just drives away. And we're thinking to ourselves, what did we just do? Did we just like resign this pig to be eaten on some plate? Like, where did the pig go? This poor pig, he's in the back of a trunk. I was like, oh no, like, this is terrible. And meanwhile, PETA sent me these like vegan chocolates. And I'm like, little do they know, I probably killed this pig, you know? And it, and it opened up my career. <laughs> you know, I got these offers because of this, like, oh my goodness. Um, so, so that was something that kind of opened doors, but I ended up choosing NBC 10 because of my connection there as a former intern, it was the best opportunity to the weekday morning anchor spot. Um, Absolutely. and so, uh, felt like I was a little in over my head, but again, like I, at that point in my career, I'd done it twice already been very green and I'm like, it's worked out so far. Let me bet on myself. And, and, you know, there were some bumps in the road, but you know, I think it's gone all right, which is nice. I don't know if you knew this or not, but they say pigs bring good luck. There, I didn't know this. Oh, this is yep. great. Yep. All right, Joe. Nice. Well, I believe Joe, it. I think we need to look for a pig on the side of the road. <laughs> not, not for our big break. <laughs> Words that have never been uttered. That's great. Yeah, right. There you go. So how rough is it waking up for those morning shifts? I mean, <laughs> it's brutal. I, I, I used to intern a decade ago. I have to be there for 6 a.m. for the morning radio shift. Uh, oh, man. Horrible. Uh, so how have you adjusted to, to that type of lifestyle? Well, I felt so bad first when we were trying to coordinate this thing. And I'm like, can we do it like 8 a.m., 9 a.m.? Because like to that, like that's like middle of the day for me. Right. But to regular people, you're like, that's like obscenely early. Before I worked this shift, I worked a night shift. And if someone told me 8 a.m., I'd go, what are you talking about? Like, why do I, you know, I, I don't even want to exist at that time. Meanwhile, now I'm waking up at uh, two o'clock in the morning, uh, which is crazy weekdays. It's almost time for bed. bed What's that? Almost time for you to go to sleep. I know, right? 
Yeah, I go to bed at uh, usually I try to be in bed by 6 p.m. Because if I fall asleep, then it'd be, it'd be eight hours. I don't ever fall asleep to like seven or eight. It's easier to fall asleep when you've been up since two. Um, and it's easier in the winter because it's dark. In the summer, it's brutal. Oh, yeah. my, my neighbors are out and it's sun, the sunlight's still coming in through the windows. So that's really hard. Um, but there's that pressure of like, like morning radio, you got to be on, obviously, right? You, you have, to have a really sharp brain. Um, so I'm not taking anything away from that. To be on TV, waking up at 2 a.m. is like this, you know, you're fearing like the bags under your eyes and, you know, something in my career to get used to is like having to wear makeup. Um, and that comes in handy, man, because other, otherwise I'd look like, I'd look like death. Um, so, so it's a, it's a process getting used to it. And you fall into a routine. Like luckily my fiance, it's the first time I said this, luckily my fiance is like amazing. Um, she deals with me with the alarms going off. In fact, I'm a lunatic. I've got, um, I literally have the smart bulbs that turn on at like 2am because I'm so fearful of waking up and she doesn't even wake up. I'm like, thank the Lord. Wow. Um, and I've got an alarm across the bed and the, the watch going off and it's crazy. But, um, but yeah, no, if it wasn't for that, like, you know, those kinds of like the discipline you got to have to wake up that early, I don't know if I, how I'd survive doing it because it's, it's definitely not healthy. Our meteorologist has been doing it for 28 years um, and he's incredible. Um, but man, I, I don't know. It's, I don't, I don't look a gift horse in the mouth. I love the opportunity. So I don't want to sound like I'm really, uh, you know, poo-pooing it, but at the same time, it's a, it's a grind. It definitely is a grind. So typically, you know, during the, during the year, when you are waking up to go to work, Joe is going to sleep because he's getting off of work. So you guys, oh, there you go. Total opposite ends of the spectrum. As Joe usually works till around two o'clock in the morning. So pretty interesting stuff there. And the other yeah. question that comes with this is I need to know what is your eating schedule? Are you eating at two o'clock in the morning? Are you eating like a full like lunch, like 6 a.m.? Give me a hamburger or a sandwich. <laughs> like dinner is probably around like 1, 2 p.m. for you. You know, tell me, yeah. tell me what you're eating throughout the day and your schedule there. Yeah. So I, so I'm up at two, I'm eating uh, rice checks. I'm like, uh, again, I, I, I'm like a creature of habit. I've had rice checks like every day since I was a kid. Rice checks and milk. No, like my dad put sugar in it or straw. No, man, I'm just plain Jane. So I'll do that at 2.30 just so I have something in my stomach. Then we're on TV from four to 7 a.m. And so I get hungry, like around like 6.30 or 6, 6.30, like you said, like, you know, cause that's almost about, you know, brunch or lunchtime normally, right? Um, what, you know, if you convert everything back to those hours. So I snack, man, I've got like nature, nature Valley bars, um, you know, my fiance will pack something for me sometimes. And then I'll eat on the second breakfast. Um, we'll go to the cafeteria at work around like, you know, seven thirty, eight o'clock sometimes, especially if I've got a long day ahead of me. And then I'll, I'll eat like veggies and stuff at home, veggies and dip here around like 11. And then, you know, Holly will cook dinner. She's a great cook. Thank God. Um, probably around two or three o'clock and that's it for me. And then I think she has second dinner, probably like, I, you know, I don't even know what happens in this house uh, once I go to bed because <laughs> she, she's got to live a normal life. She, you know, she works a day shift. Um, so it's like, uh, you know, it's a, it must be a challenge for her, but, uh, but yeah, no, that's, that's the, uh, the eating schedule. So it's, it's like a little bit often, basically. Are you two ships passing in the night? Cause I used to, uh, my cousin used to work in Secaucus, New Jersey over here, uh, yeah, where yeah. the MLB network is, NHL network is, uh, so he would work really, really late hours. And he was always the one that they relied on to do like the West coast baseball games and stuff like Dodgers games, Giants games. So he oh. usually wouldn't get home until like 3.15, 3.30 in the morning. And wow. then his now wife is a teacher, right? So she's waking up at oh, 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. So is there any type of scheduling conflict with you and your fiance where you guys feel like, do we really have enough time together? Because <laughs> for a while it was like that for my cousin. Well, we were laughing because like, I wonder if this is why it works. Like she's got every night like to herself, some independence, you know, I don't, not me nagging her, you know, bothering her around the house. Um, but uh, no, she works from home. Thank goodness. She works like four or the five days from home. So we do get to see each other. If she didn't work from home, it'd be tough. Cause then I'd get home. She wouldn't be here. I'd go to bed and maybe, you know, she works up in the Lehigh Valley up in like Allentown PA and Easton and Bethlehem. So, um, yeah, if she was commuting that hour from where we are, um, and back, we wouldn't see each other at all. So I'm grateful that she's working, uh, uh, from home. She used to be a reporter 
And now she's telling stories um, basically uh, for what amounts to a marketing arm for the Lehigh Valley. And she loves it. It's been a great opportunity for her. Terrific. Plus, working from home is great. What's that? No, I was going to say very happy everything's working out for you. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. So you wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer, and you ended up being a broadcaster. Yeah. Uh, so you, you decided to give back, and uh, you became an adjunct professor for Villanova, your alma mater, right? So uh, was there ever any interest there in saying to yourself, you know, I really, I think I could be a good teacher, right? Like, how, how does that always, you know, come about? Like, did, did you want to give back? And did you feel like you would be a good teacher? And you kind of wanted to take what your experiences and what you've learned and, and give back? Uh, so who approached you at the school with the opportunity to become an adjunct professor? And is that something you wanted to do before uh, you started to do it? Yeah, when I was at Villanova, uh, a, a former anchor at NBC10 taught it. And I got a B plus in her class, which is hilarious that I could be B plus in the class that I teach. So you're qualified for anything. Um, but um, so, and I always saw her doing that. And I said, oh, what a really rewarding thing probably uh, to do. But then I started to realize as I moved up through through the business and I saw people drop off because it's a tough grind. And I'm like, man, I wish I could be the person, I, I wanna be the person that I wish I'd had along the journey. And Villanova's TV program, it's basically just my class. And at the time when I went there, it was just my class, the class, the broadcast journalism class. So I said, what a really cool way to cement a legacy. Um, you know, the, TV news is great and it's a service um, and it's valuable, obviously. Um, but I think being able to, to uh, you know, really see, it, uh, see a student from week one in the semester and then seeing their development all the way through week 15 and seeing whether they grow an interest in broadcasting and pursue it or not, and you just follow their life, it's like the most fulfilling thing in the world. Um, I, when I got back to Philly, um, a um, photographer was teaching that class and he had a shift where he couldn't often be there. So he asked me, Hey, do you want to substitute teach? You went to Villanova. And I said, well, yeah, funny enough, that's the class I took. Um, and so I did that once I did it a second time and the chair of the journalism department happened to walk in the second time. And the photographer had to relinquish the job because he just couldn't make that commitment. And they offered it to me. And that was in uh, 2013, early 2013. Um, I thought maybe it was a one-off thing, but it was so rewarding that first uh, semester, that fall semester that I was like, oh man, I, I would love to do this over and over and over again. So I've been doing it now almost 10 years. This is my 10th class. And I taught through the pandemic and um, it's, it's just wild, um, but also rewarding in, uh, in different ways too. You know, and plus now there's some students of mine that are in the business. Um, in fact, one of my former students uh, produces the show against me for ABC in Philly, Ooh. which is awesome. <laughs> and she's coming in to talk to my class tomorrow. So it's like, it's, it's like a, it's a circle. And, you know, you, I think it's such a cool thing. I'm still waiting for the moment where somebody anchors with me. That'd be incredible. One of my former students, because I got to anchor with my professor um, during Hurricane Sandy. And I was like, this is I said, anything I do wrong, it's her fault. You know, like she's the one that's taught me. But uh, no, it's it's nice. It's a cool thing to do on the side. Little friendly competition doesn't hurt. Yeah, uh, right. Do, do, do you two get into ratings arguments? Oh, I can't, no. She uh, she does pretty well. Um, no, I, I, I try not to get into that too much. It's funny, like um, radio wars are great. Like they're such an exception, um, even like versus like the streaming wars and everything else. Like you know, there's nothing like a good radio war. I think in TV, people are watching for so many different reasons. You know, obviously they want consistency and maybe they like the, the rate at which we give news or how many stories we have in a, in, a, in a first news block. Maybe they like the colors on the screen. Maybe they like the people that they see. Um, you know, there's be 9 million different reasons. In fact, there was some research done that a lot of times what people choose to watch in the morning is solely based on what they were watching the night before. So if Jimmy Fallon does really well, all of a sudden our ratings are up. Yeah. And it's not because, you know, Keith, the non-flyer is on TV. It's because they just happened to turn on the TV and it was the last channel they watched. And so it's a cool opportunity to grab people, but I try not to think of it as like a, as a competition. Um, I think then I get a little too crazy about it too and get all competitive. Um, but when it's one of my former students too, it's like, I want her to be successful. As long as she doesn't run me out of town, 
Um, maybe she, maybe she'll hire me someday <laughs> if she does, you know, that'd be cool. Uh, but, uh, no, no, yeah, it's the radio wars are the best though. I mean, I, I'm a huge, uh, Howard Stern fan and, uh, um, you know, Preston, Stephen Philly. And, you know, I, I love hearing, you know, Stern's, uh, feuds with the Bella, you know, back in the day in those old tapes. And it's, a it's, it's, it's great. It's a, it's a, a plus in this broadcasting industry. Yeah. There's nothing like watching old Howard Stern clips. Yeah, yeah, it gets personal. It does, it does. <laughs> uh, but I don't think they're going to run you out of Philly anytime soon. I think you're a mainstay in the community at this point. Uh, and something unique about you, uh, you are a board member uh, for the Philadelphia Firemen's Hall Museum. So who approached you about that? A former reporter did. It's funny, um, I, uh, when I got to Philly, I recognized that like, it gives you a certain platform and are able to do things that are meaningful like that. Um, and you have some time to get it done too. And it helps because you connect with the community and it's like a kind of a, a self-fulfilling circle and that like the more connected you are to a community, the better you know it, the quicker you hear about stories that happen and, and the better you can advocate for them. I've always felt, you know, when you're watching the news, there, there are consistent, consistent things that we cover. Unfortunately, there's, you know, violence, fires um, and, and severe weather, right? It's like the three things that constantly take place every single day somewhere in the country. And we would cover fires constantly. And I'd be out at those scenes as a reporter when I uh, worked as a reporter. Um, and I always was in awe of firefighters, especially in, in Pennsylvania. I think it's, I think 80% of the firefighting in Pennsylvania is done by volunteers. And that's like a, a culture in and of itself that growing up in Jersey where I did, I, I don't understand. And it's such a level of dedication to the community. So I always said to myself, if there was a, a moment where, or if there was an agency, a service agency that I can stand behind, like I would really consider, you know, firefighting. And so this, a former reporter at the station who's retired said, hey, you know, we've got this like open board seat, would you be interested? And I took a tour of the Fireman's Home Museum and learned what they're all about and advocating for families and uh, people who have been affected by tragedy with regard to fires. And um, I love it. It's great. So that's a cool thing I've been able to do. Awesome. And I'm sure it's, yeah. it's been pretty re rewarding for you as well. Uh, something else that was probably rewarding for you, probably your first Emmy win. So what was your reaction to that? Uh, when is the other Keith Jones going to give you your Emmy award? <laughs> uh, and what was that experience like for you? Um, it was, uh, I'll tell you what, what I was doing. I, uh, I did not think I was going to win, so I didn't go. Um, so I went out with my buddy from New Egypt, New Jersey. We were out in Philly. Um, and I get a call that says, Hey, you just won an Emmy. And I was like, Oh, now I feel like a real jerk. You know, I didn't show up <laughs> at the time I was 27. There was seasoned journalists, um, in the Philly market. And we were up against Philly and Pittsburgh, you know, all these like former, uh, people. And so people that I work with and rub shoulders with, and I was like, Oh, there's no way. And, and sure enough, you know, I won it. And, um, it was a team effort. It was, it was a, for my anchoring during a, a five-year-old girl that had found after being missing all morning, I was anchoring the morning show. She went missing. Um, there was a surveillance video that came out of some woman taking her from a school. The girl, it's a terrible story. The girl ended up being sexually assaulted, but found. Um, and we had reported from the beginning to the end of it. It was a lot of ad-libbing and, but I, I thought of it more as a, as a team thing. And, and I saw what we were up against and, rather than jinx it and spend a hundred bucks to go to the Emmys, I said, Oh, you know, let me just, you know, stay away. And I was pleasantly surprised. It was, it was amazing. And, and our station, it does a really great job in the last 10 years. I've been there of like submitting a lot of our work for us, which is huge. Um, and it certainly helps. And so, uh, so yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the, um, I've, I've got a couple of them here. A lot of them are uh, um, really fulfilling, but all based on the team that's around us. Um, it's been a, you know, you can't, I can't do what I do unless there's somebody in the control room, unless there's the producer that's stacking the show, unless there's a reporter in the field and a photographer pointing a camera at them. So it's a, it's a big group effort. Yeah. It's so cool. And it's, it's always very fulfilling to see everybody's hard work come to fruition and be rewarded yeah. like that. Uh, so definitely fulfilling. But speaking of filling, I need to ask you, what is your preferred cheesesteak destination? <laughs> That's great, man. So I'm really close with Gino from Gino Steaks at Ninth and Passyunk. I did that. I did a fun story. One of my favorite stories I've done here in Philly was I got together all the Philly cheesesteak owners, the big three, 
which at the time was uh, Gino, uh, Frankie Oliveri, who owns Pats, which is across the street, they're big competition yep. there, and Tony Luke. Um, and they're real close friends of mine. Don't ask me how I've been able to, uh, you know, manage that. They're just the nicest guys. Um, I don't know if it's like the Italian in me. Uh, my mother's my mother's 100 Italian from Brooklyn, so yeah, right, right, exactly. And I don't know if that's like that's kind of what bonds us. Um, but it was a really great story. So I've got an affinity for those cheesesteaks, lest I don't mention them. Jim's um, uh, steaks and South Street's really good. Um, Steve Prince's steaks is really good. I'm trying to think, um, you know, Donkey's Place in Jersey in Camden County is you've got to go there. Um, but yeah, those are those are the tops, I think. Last summer, Joe and I and two yeah, yeah. went down to Philly and we had Gino's and Pat's at the same time. So nice. Yeah, you got to do it. And, What'd uh, you guys think? Between the two, I've always been a Pat's guy. Uh, I've been to gyms too. It was good. Uh, Tony looks probably the best though, I think, for me. Do you guys wear your New York gear? Uh, I have my <laughs> Mets uh, shirt on. Joe had his New York Rangers shirt. Good. Oh, wow. There you go. Yeah. Was it late at night too? Because that, that could that be. A was, uh, it was in the middle of the day. We went, we went before a Mets Phillies game. We went. Oh, that's awesome, man! That's awesome. That's a great place to watch a game. I, I have yet to go to City Field actually. I remember. I mean, I've, I've been to Shea a bunch, but not uh, not City Field. Um, so I wonder what that's like. But City Citizens Bank Park is a great place to play. We're going to watch a game. Maybe they'll. Maybe you'll be at City Field uh, this this October. Uh, 2022 no if, the, if the Mets play the Phillies you never know if the Phillies don't collapse again <laughs> yes. of, the, of, of the four teams uh I know you don't see too many championships in your lifetime uh who who do you think which team do you think is the next team the most likely to bring Philadelphia a championship it's gonna be Tortorella's Flyers <laughs> Well, they're yeah. in the middle of they're in the middle of a rebuild. So I, I the think coach. the Sixers. It's Sixers. funny. I want to say this, the Sixers, but every year we say that. Every year it's like, okay, this the dynamic duo of Ben Simmons and Joel and B, that's gonna do it for us. And then we then you learn who Ben Simmons is, and you're like, oh no, this is terrible. And you want him out of town. But I like Tyrese Maxey, I like that crew. Um, it's gotta be the Sixers. I think the Eagles. I think the Eagles have a good shot at the NFC East this year. Um, I don't know if they've got the firepower to compete with some of the, the big NFC teams, though, to get out of the conference championship game. I mean, Jalen Hurts is, 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 uh, is good. I don't know. He's got a lot to prove with his arm and his accuracy and him making decisions and, you know, going through his reads. Um, yeah, the Flyers in a rebuild. The Phils, they've got all the firepower in the world, but they just can't seem to get it together. Um, and they're collapsed. They're in the process of a collapse. I think they just got swept by the Giants. Um, or, and I think they have a series of Miami. If I think it's the last I, I paid attention to that. So who knows? I know they got that last wild card spot. So maybe, you know, maybe they go on a run, but it's uh, it just seems to be playing out the same script that we've been used to seeing. And it's been a, what an 11 year playoff drought or something now. So it's, I don't know, not many hopeful people. I'll believe it when I see it. You sound like my friend who I uh, used to work with. He lives a little closer today. He's a huge uh, sports fan. But I, in hockey, he's like the biggest Flyers fan. So. Sure, I think the next time we'll see a championship in Philadelphia is going to be in two years when WrestleMania is at the Lincoln Financial Forum. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's great. Right? <laughs> you very well could be right. You very well could be right. Will, you be, be, will you be covering yeah, WrestleMania? What's that? Will you be covering WrestleMania because the Northeast, because of the weather situation, the last time we got a WrestleMania here was at MetLife a couple of years ago in 2019 when Nick and I went. Uh, and it was a pretty, pretty good show. It was a very, very long show. And it's kind of the reason why they went for the two nights and the whole weekend instead of just the one night. But uh, that Philly crowd for, for wrestling shows and <laughs> UFC shows, it is awesome. unbelievable. Yeah, so they're, they're going to be, be able to cover up. it. Uh, dude, I hope so. I, I'm amped for it. It's funny. When we first said it, I was like, oh, shoot, WrestleMania is coming. And then I realized it was like a, a the week leading up to it, there's stuff in the convention center and there's yep. two full days of it. And I'm thinking the venue itself, I'm like, this is going to be crazy. Um, and I, I've always heard too, I've never been to a, a wrestling event. I was a big fan of like NWO versus WCW back in the day. Yep. Um, and, and also when they converted 
my, one of my favorite things ever is like the WWF to WWE because it was like the World Wildlife Federation yeah, or something. Exactly. They had to change yeah, the name. World Wildlife, yep. Like, man, like what a funny reason to have to rebrand your whole sports or, you know, sports uh, uh, organization. But, um, but no, I've long been a fan, so I hope I cover it. I, I just, I've heard it's amazing being out at those events. It's going to be rough that Monday morning now. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> totally. Absolutely. May not get much sleep the night before. No, no way. No way. It'll be, it'll be worth it though. I think I, I have a feeling it'll be worth it just to see the production of it too must be wild. Well, you let us know if you're going to be covering it because Nick and I will definitely plan on being there hundred percent. It's something that we absolutely can't miss because we're huge wrestling fans. Uh, I actually went to SummerSlam and we had somebody on recently, Scott Hamilton, who, no way. Um, yeah, we had medals. Scott Hamilton, Olympic Wait. gold medalist. Well, lives, what is his connection to wrestling? He, well, he lives in Nashville, right? Okay. So we had him on a couple of days before SummerSlam. And uh, Nick basically was, was saying, you know, you're going to go. Tell him you were going to go and everything. Uh, he ended up getting me a ticket. And I ended up flying into Nashville that weekend. Oh, very, cool. very spur of the moment. And uh, so they do, they run their pay-per-view shows now on Saturday, which I, I think is better now than doing it on Sundays. So we went and it was his first wrestling event too. And sure enough, he knows the guy who works for the company. And, and we sat the second row behind no. the commentary desk. Yeah, oh, oh my God. That's awesome. Photos and videos of the event and everything. And uh, Big night for you right. We went viral, ESPN, Logan Paul, Bleacher Report taking Joe's videos. <laughs> Oh, no way. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. So there was a video of Logan Paul and he does a spot where he does like the, uh, like the Eddie Guerrero frog splash from the outside of the ring, like through um, the Miz. Right. So you, you obviously, I think you would know who the Miz is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so he, he did a frog splash through the table and I had some of the best angles uh, of all the, like the, the events from that night. And I was able to get them on video. I got them to Nick, Nick posted them and a couple of them went viral. So one of them included Logan Paul. Uh, one of them included Pat McAfee and yeah, a lot of the people yeah. they were shuffling in and out of the front row were celebrities, right? So Kid Rock was there. A bunch of guys on the Titans were there. So Ryan Tannehill was there sitting in front of me. Derek Henry was sitting in front of me. Taylor what did you was see? sitting in front of How me. How did you see around Derek Henry? <laughs> <laughs> Dwight Howard was there too. And yeah, Jeez. but, uh, but yeah, so uh, we had a couple of videos that I went viral that night. Sports Center shared the Logan Paul video. So, uh, but to wrap this all up, Scott had never been to a show before, right? So that was his first event. He went with his son. I was fortunate to be a guest with him and his son, and it was the three of us. Oh, cool. And it was an amazing time. So I tell everybody this all the time. And I think it's kind of the same thing with hockey games. Uh, if you're there for the first time and you're sitting relatively close by, the experience itself is unbelievable because you're watching some of the most talented like the biggest mm -hmm. athletes that you're going to see in the whole world do their thing and it gives you a certain appreciation for it right so uh we uh, we have full faith and confidence that nbc philadelphia is going to be able to send you to the event and uh it's something that i definitely think you should take advantage of if you have the opportunity or at least maybe i gotta i gotta steal some uh, media tickets that's what i gotta do that's what it sounds like to the saturday event at least to be able to sleep then you know on sunday yep. at a decent hour it's awesome um, so speaking of media, uh, last question from me uh, before yeah. we start letting you go here. Uh, it's something that we ask a lot of people that we have on. Uh, it's the age-old representation question, right? So throughout this whole process of your career, uh, have you had somebody acting as your agent or somebody acting on your behalf of representing you? Uh, did that Was that the case at the beginning? Did that change you know, as you were bouncing around to, to market to market? Uh, and how is that situation for you now? And do you think, do you think the agent ultimately helps, uh, or do you think it varies on a case by case basis? And sometimes you're better off uh, acting as your own representative. That's a great question. It's so hard to act as your own representative. I've done that, and that was a mistake. Um, I've never had an agent. I've always hired lawyers to negotiate on my behalf, only because that process is hairy, and I'm not a business guy. Nor am I a wheeler and dealer. You know, I'm a journalist with a heart and it's hard to, you know, it's hard to advocate for yourself in those meetings and try to ask for certain things that you think you deserve. Um, so I always encourage my students even too, when they get into business, like hire a lawyer. There's a major compensation difference too. An agent will take anywhere from 
I've heard as low as 6%. Those are few and far between as high as like 14% of your salary every year for getting you that job, negotiating it, so on and so forth, and, and advocating for you if you need them throughout the year. Um, whereas a lawyer is, it's a one-time fee. Um, you, you talk about it beforehand. There's billable hours, but sometimes they'll tell you it's a percentage of whatever they get on top of what you have or some percentage of what they're able to negotiate in some other form. So, um, so no, I've always chosen the latter scenario. Um, I think the way the business is trending, at least in local news, I think in the network news, it's different. Um, you can you can find a job without an agent. There are plenty of sites that you know list these TV openings, like TV jobs, and um, there are a couple of media. There, there's a couple of places that actually do it for you, so you can post your resume, and it'll and news directors go and they look at it. It's also a, a business about who you know so much as what you know. I mean, it's not as though it's not like you're it's not like you can get away with having no talent, but to be able to get your foot in the door and for them to see your your resume whether it be through a link or a DVD or whatever it is, it always helps to know somebody or have some common connection. So it's always good never to burn bridges, but yeah, I always, I always went the lawyer route. Um, I never needed an agent to find me an opportunity, but it also helped too, that I kind of had an idea of where I wanted to be. Um, and that was either New York or Philly, just to be close to home. Um, my identity is, is definitely New York or Philly too. So it was like, you know, I tried my best from the moment I left Villanova to establish connections at those places. And it's a small business too. Like there are people now that I know at every one of those stations that it's like, man, I'd be able to hope, you know, God forbid something happened. I'd, I'd leverage some connection, hopefully to try to stay in the business either in New York or Philly. But um, yeah, I, I've heard horror stories about, you know, kids out of college hiring an agent, making 20 grand a year and owing that guy $1,200 a year. Um, and that's like, it's, that's unconscionable, you know, because, um, you, you know, you can't save any money to begin with. So, uh, so yeah, I always go lawyer out. That's good advice there for sure. What would you say in your career or in your life would be your, you know, I'm right moment. So what I meant by that is a time where you wanted to pursue something, you ask somebody for advice. Someone says, you know what, Keith, I think that's a bad idea. You shouldn't do that. You say, you know what, I'm going to do it anyway. And ultimately, you will see why it is that I'm right. That's a great question. Um, let me try to think. There, okay, here's a good one. So I, I was obsessed when I was at Villanova um, with getting that first TV job. And I always dreamt that I'd be the morning anchor in Philly or New York. Um, it's what I wanted. It just felt that it was a place to work where it'd be like, I could show some personality and be serious and it'd be really challenging. And the hours aren't the greatest, um, because they're super early, but it would be uh, fulfilling because I'd be able to flex my all of my muscles that way, right? Um, to the point where I made it my, uh, I like try to try to actualize it. I, I made it my password to all my accounts, like, you know, morning anchor and whatever, right? Just to like get it deep in my yeah. head. And I remember sharing that with somebody when I was in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and they told me that it was a really stupid idea that nobody gets to have those jobs. There's only, you know, as far as like guys, so there's four in Philly, there's four in New York, you know, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, um, you know, there's plenty more at the network, but it's like, you know, they were like, your center site's like way too high. Um, and I'm really happy I stuck with it and kept my passwords uh, <laughs> and surrounded myself with that kind of like positive juju because I think what it did was it kind of led me in directions where like my eyes were open to, you know, for instance, Yuki Washington is the main anchor at CBS three now, but at the time he was the morning anchor for CBS. And I remember like following him so closely and even shooting him messages before I even got to Philly and he was receptive and he answered. And I think had I written that off, I would have never went down that route or I never would have been as confident in front of the news director at NBC, or I never would have thought after rescuing a pig, that that would have been even a logical move. But when, when that offer came, I said to myself, like, I mean, I, I was shell-shocked. I couldn't even believe it at 27. I was like, I can't believe that this actually was happening. Um, but it didn't seem out of the realm because I'd lived in that space for like five years up to that point. Um, so I think that's the, that's probably the moment. And it's also like, I got such a, you know, again, to bring it back to the beginning of this interview with like Coach Wright, you know, he's extremely humble and modest, but like you definitely, 
you know, take, you, you get energy from those moments where somebody tells you you can't do something and then you, you know, you end up proving them wrong and you don't ever mention it. Maybe you mention it in a podcast um, and it gives you such great, you know, a sense of pride. Um, but those are definitely things that drive you. Yeah. I, I, I hate it when a student says, well, I, I'm never gonna be able to do something or do this or that, or by this age. And it's like, oh, stop it. Like that's the silliest thing you can do. You know, Keith is right. Manifested it with a little yes. help from a, from a lucky pig, but. Uh, <laughs> That's what it is. You're right, Joe. It's funny. I hope, I hope everybody who listens and watches this uh, moving forward does not confuse you with the other Keith Jones. <laughs> and hopefully we, Nick and I will have him on one day again soon. Uh, but we, we thank you for your time. This was a lot of fun. No, you're kind of a Philly guy. So we consider you a rival. Uh, but I think Nick and I did a, a really, really good job here. And uh, we wish you the best of luck uh, on your engagement. Uh, we wish you the best you. of luck on everything. Uh, hopefully we can link up. And that's not a pun to the link. But they <laughs> for WrestleMania. Uh, but what we do here is we give our guests the last word. So uh, if there's anything else you would like to share, promote for yourself, by all means, uh, go ahead. This was a lot of fun again, and we really, really appreciate your time. Thanks again. Oh, thank you. No, I'll just take the moment to thank you guys. Uh, you guys, you know, hit me out of nowhere with this, and I started learning a little bit more about the podcast and learned about you guys and did my research as a journalist, and I love what you guys are doing. This is great. Keep it up, because you guys are good at it, too. It's it's always thank touching you. to me to hear that you guys know about my background. And you ask great questions and, and aren't afraid to, like, dive away from the script, because that's always a hard thing to do. Um, so no, I sincerely appreciate it. If I was to plug anything, if you're in the Philly area, you know, turn on the TV from four to 7am weekdays, um, you'll see me and follow me on social media. You'll find me on, uh, usually Keith Jones, NBC 10, if you search it, but thank you guys. We, we appreciate the kind words, Keith, and we thank you so much for your time. So that's going to do it here for this episode of, you know, I'm right for our very special, special guest, Keith Jones for my co-host Joe Calvary's. I'm Nick Durst, and this has been You Know I'm 